Brian's hungry. He's in a sauna. I'm not in a sauna. I'm in a cabin, but like a high-end cabin. Wait, where are you? He's in London. That's not London, man. That's... Well, not in London. I'm outside. I'm at this That looks like Regina, like, where I'm from. It's actually nice. Like, I'm not a Soho House fan. The Soho House is a private club for middle management. Actually, Troy, you and I had breakfast at the, the Dumbo House, I remember. Yeah, I like the Dumbo House. Are you kind of admitting to being middle management or like what? <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I... <laughs> anyway, I'm fresh back. I got back last night and I had been in Europe for the last week. So I am knackered. I'm a little cranky. It's good to see both of you, though. I want to talk this week about, we've talked a lot about the open web and its problems. And I kind of think it's, it's just sort of reaching the, the end state. I, I would like to be somewhat optimistic about what comes next and, and to make it more specific. But so a couple things happened this week. I wrote a little bit about this in my newsletter. We're starting to see the awkward adoption of AI tools by, by publishers. And, and they're adopting them in, in just the way that, that one would expect to create a lot of crappy content. So this week, Sports Illustrated and Arena Group is is in focus and, and beyond like in the sort of nerdy digital media world. But it, this actually broke out more broadly, I feel like. But maybe that's the Twitter X echo chamber making me think that. But basically, Sports Illustrated contracts with Advon. Ben Fall runs that. We know Ben. And they do the commerce content. They were apparently using AI to do this, <laughs> created entire personas. I don't know the whole backstory, but basically it got lampooned because this is a brand and this kind of, I think it's a brand that doesn't mean it, what it used to mean, obviously, but a lot of people still have memories of it. And to me, it was, it, it's a uh, Or it to, got lampooned because it's it's a favorite story of journalists who want to comment on well, okay, the we'll fading talk about luster yes. of a media brand and how stupid people use robots to create content. How could they? And so it's, it's a, yeah, how could they? Like, why did the New York Times write the story? Like, everybody knows that publishers are desperate to diversify revenue by any means possible, that storied media brands aren't what they used to be. Like, give me a break, guys. Stop it. Just Okay, so you're, <laughs> so you're saying non-story, get over it. You got to do you got to do whatever you can to make money these days and I mean, the story it, like, "Oh, look what Sports Illustrated did. It isn't what it used to be." Can I have a concrete idea of what that is? What did they do? They had robots <laughs> write content. But more importantly, there's an important identity issue here. They had, I believe they had the robot create the nom de plume. Yeah. So they had photos, AI-generated profile photos with, with profile photo? I guess, AI-generated bios as if these were humans. And I oh, mean, I mean me, that's kind of shitty. I mean, it's not, let's be... It's, it's dishonest. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean I, I, it doesn't to me, it's matter. Like, it doesn't matter. But this matter. whole business doesn't matter, but it's, it's all we're talking about. I mean... Well, right, Alex, I'm in your camp here, and I, and I would like to comment on it when Brian <laughs> okay. finishes his intro. Right. This is good. I'll be, I'll, I'll be getting to dinner early. <laughs> so a lot of upside here. You know, the problem with staying in one of these like all-inclusive things, you don't have a lot of options. If the food sucks, the food sucks. Yeah. I can't walk to a sushi place. Could you want more, do you want to give more background on the story? Sorry about that. No, I don't want to give more background. I think we should never, never record a podcast when Brian's hungry. Because that's all he's thinking about. They, oh, I had a late lunch. I had a, they call croque-masseurs toasties. I don't know why they can't just call it croque-masseur. There's no difference as far as I can Because they hate yeah, the French, yeah. dude. Come on. Call it a panini then. I don't give a shit. <laughs> anyway, look, yes, that's it. It's robot content was created. And I think the fact that it, it did become something of a, of a little tempest in a teapot... I do agree that obviously this is going to be a ready story. Journalists are all over any sort of robot writing things because journalists need to protect their their turf. I get that, right? 
if there was ever bias, there's going to be a, a fair amount there when this thing is kind of like looking like it's going to chip away their livelihood. So okay. I get that. Can I comment on this? Sure. Just let me know when you want me to speak sure. up, Ryan. Go ahead. Speak up, Troy. Well, I think the whole thing is such a kind of in-between moment. It, re- it really is. We're going to look back and go, remember when we used to get upset that robots made content? So it, it always struck me as kind of unusual that we would land in a place where self-hating content creators, quote-unquote, like of some sort, would write queries to create content that would get shoved into the old distribution system, i.e. Google, when we could just write the fucking prompts ourselves. And then we could get our own content back. Like, it just, it struck me that, like, why do I need someone to write the prompt to get me the content when I can write my own prompt? It's clearly an in-between step where we have a sort of class of content worker creating content with robots that's fed into Google so that I can Google it and find it. And then what we're doing, because we know that Google has certain kind of these structures that that look for certain things, like having a bio and an an image and some some semblance of someone who actually wrote an article. So Mm -hmm. we're going to be smart about it. We're going to write the article, then we're going to create a fake personality so it looks like someone wrote it. But underneath of all that, it's just like, are you getting what you want or are you not getting what you want? And we are all in the process of being augmented, folks. Like the junior designer is going to feel bad that they used AI to come up with ideas for the logo or the icon or whatever. Who cares? The trader is going to look for ideas to find a good trade. The insurance person is going to look for a new way to think about writing a policy to minimize risk. We are all augmented now. And it's just going to happen in content. And we'll look back and think, like, if, if the AI can write something that's useful, then great. It helped me. It helped me. And if someone had to make that query, fine. If I made the query myself, even better. What's weird about it is, if you don't read the example you sent around of the AI, presumably, Brian, I don't know how true this is, reviewing volleyballs, First of all, as far as I last checked, AI can't actually squeeze or touch or manipulate or hit the volleyball. More importantly, the journalists increasingly never do it anyway, so it doesn't really matter. And if you read that content, you want to literally kill yourself. So, like, you know, (laughs) it's like the system hopefully will start to deprioritize content like that. But it's it's just a place where we are today until we get to another place. It's like fake meat. Fake meat is gross, okay? But if there was good fake meat, it would just be meat and I would eat it. But fake meat today is gross. So we're in the the gross period of this content evolution, this AI evolution. And right now we're kind of making a big deal of it, but it's inevitable. It's just inevitable. I think you're missing the point. You're missing the points that are important here. I think number one is that this is like an acceleration of the creation of content that is making content on the internet less and less valuable. And it just pushes us towards... I'm not missing... How, do, how did I miss but, that point? But here, 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 let me finish my thought. And this is not an augmentation, but rather like it's looking at the output and saying, how can we squeeze out just more output, irrespective of quality... That then becomes the vast majority of the content that we have. And then that content... Well, but bigger picture, it is an augmentation. Right, but the augmentation is based on a source of content that is pre-existing. And if we're not spending the time to create this new content, then we won't have the source for it. Short term. Short term it is. Sure, short term it is. The second thing is that it's starting to it's the, starting the to do its own, is that own they, deduction, logic, etc. They lied about it, misrepresented. They lied about it and they put a fake person on it because they know, uh, maybe maybe they're conscious about it, but they seem to know the fact that the only reason that content will have value is that it's on Sports Illustrated and has a real person behind it. Because that content could have just been generated by an AI, pay 20 bucks a month for, or even get for free via chat GPT. And the fact that that move feels so desperate is really, I think, a signal for the rest of the industry. Because like, if that's what augmentation looks like, 
all of these businesses are going to be are going to disappear over the next few years. A- yeah. Alex, Alex, Alex. This Alex, is not Alex, augmentation. Alex. This is replacement. This is like A- not Alex, being upfront. It's augmentation, guys. I'll tell you. I'll why? explain why. So everything you said, I agree with. We're in full alignment, Alex. Me and you together again. <laughs> now here's the thing. So the reason that you use Sports Illustrated and you use a person. By the way, I know all these people, so I'm massively conflicted, and I understand the issue very well. I know Ben, I know Ross, I know Rob, I know all the people involved. They're all good people. They're all just trying to figure out how to live inside of a pernicious distribution system and how to make money when the ways that we monetize media is is going through dramatic change. So I'm sympathetic. Now, the reason that you would use a a sort of human-like bio and you would put it under a reputable, aged media brand is just because, first of all, the system likes it, the system being Google, the distribution system likes it, so it helps you accomplish your objective. And I think it makes it easier for a consumer, obviously, to say this is credible. So I'm not saying it's not at all duplicitous. What is the word? Duplicitous? Duplicitous. Under duplicitous. I believe in this case it is duplicitous. But what I am saying about augmentation is increasingly, and particularly as we see AI become capable of deduction, right? Not just statistical relationships between words. We're going to see it augment the way we find, acquire, research, analyze things in all kinds of ways. So really that we are using AI to evaluate a product or to go through a series of products and pick one is really just augmentation. When you when you narrow down to that is not what this is, Troy. Like well that's exi- but that's the function it's playing. No, it, I'm it's, going it's, in, it's, I'm looking for a product. That is not what this is, okay? There's a difference between let's say you paid some person to make a jingle for this podcast and we got it free from you one person just goes and downloads a free sample of something and says here's the jingle the other one downloads some sample and cuts it together and into an original song one person augmented themselves by using a sample the other just said this is a song i made and i think the the issue here is not that they said which one was better is this is not the wire cutter saying hey we are i love it our reviewers use ai to gather information and then contextualize it. This was them saying, we've just generated some junk yeah. content and generated fake people right, and attached right. them to them. But That's, Alex, you and I you and I are at a nightclub. We've had a couple of cocktails and we're dancing together. It's an analogy day today. And we're, right, we're moving and we're having a good time. Yeah. And then we, get, we leave the nightclub and you, I say to you, you remember those two songs that we listened to where we just were shaking our asses, having a great time? And you're like, yeah, Troy, that was a really memorable evening. Thank you. And I would say the first song was written by AI, no human involvement. The second one was written by my son, say, or whatever. And it doesn't matter. No, it does matter it's because, like, because you, it's not like when we were shaking our asses to that track. It's not like you said, do you know this song that you're listening to right now? It was written by a real person. Yeah, that I, I, I get it. behind. Who cares? I think this is a little bit of a straw man. Truth deal, matters, right? Troy. Because I know, like, I, there was saying, no using, nobody is going to claim that using AI tools is like off the table. That's of course not. That's ridiculous, right? But I think the way it's being applied right now, and I understand all the reasons in, in this instance, it's duplicitous and it's just kind of ham-handed and like hacky, schlocky. I guess that's the only word. Yeah, I'm sort of taking a bigger picture view to say, yes, it is a little hacky, but, you know, desperate times, my friends. And what I'm saying is, in the end, is it good? Did the robot make something good? Did the human make something good? The robot did not do a good job. I got to say, the robot did a bad job. And yeah, we used a couple of tactics to game the old-fashioned distribution system, Google. Everybody will use AI to help them do things. In the interim, we are all feeling like we're being cheated a bit. But big picture, you're not being cheated. We're changing. The world is changing. So whether it's digesting papers or creating ideas for logos or making a song or coming up with trade stock trade scenarios or minimizing insurance risk or doing product reviews, it's just content. We're an augmented species now. This is a mis... I'm going to go as far as say this is a misuse of this technology that's accelerating the demise of this publication and showing a lot of people what not to do. It's adding to more junk on the internet 
and it's not going to help the business. Desperate measures is like these people are eating their own arm, right? Like you're going to regret this. And I think it's hugely disingenuous. Uh, did, did I did, did I didn't say that it was a best practice. I said well, But no, but you compared it. I really, said it's very, I think it's actually it's like that, genuinely that, that rock climber got his arm caught under a boulder. It wasn't a best practice to cut off his arm, but as we're to. evolving into being able to cohabitate with this new really important technology, I think it's important that we also gauge the validity of its uses and whether it's good or bad. And just saying, yeah. well, it's AI and everybody's got to do it. It's like saying, well, you know, we use these financial instruments to make these junk mortgages <laughs> not what I, make, make us a little bit more money. That's just how it works. I think if you if you I keep love misusing I love this. if you keep mi- misusing technology, then it it's not aiding us in, in misusing technology. Sorry, someone, d- d- you decided how we should be using AI. We're trying to figure out how to use the technology. We're trying to figure out if it can help us sort through a bunch of stuff and create something useful. Listen, it's not big picture, guys. With- you know how I feel. Jesus. To all of you out there that value human content, good content, art, love, all of that, craft, you know that I love that as much as you. We want artisanal. We want people created things. There's a big butt coming from Captain Capitalism next. <laughs> <laughs> We're splashing around, worrying about little stuff to try to come to grips with the future right now. And I'm saying the future is augmented. I think the platform question that you that you if we want to move off this unless you guys want to keep vlogging I want to tie in like, with I'm, I'm sorry but so, this like the future is augmented I agree with you but I think you're like strawmanning it into this exercise it's like saying I know these cyclists are like pumping themselves full of steroids but we can't complain about that because the future is about you know being healthy like <laughs> people are going to augment themselves in so many terrible ways I, and this is one of them this is not even people augmenting just themselves. to take the other side of that i think we should let cyclists take steroids i think it would be awesome I, steroids would not help cyclists that much okay whatever whatever <laughs> blood doping Can, you go on blood doping. doping there is a good argument that you should just like set a, a base level and say you can do whatever this you example want to backfired. get to that base level of like hematocrit stuff like apparently that. the only thing we love more than capitalism is <laughs> doping so <laughs> I'm fascinated by dope. But but do, do you get what I'm saying, Troy? I like, totally go to a Swiss clinic. I don't think this is augmentation. I think this is a it's a bad business. I think it's a step to somewhere new. And in that new, somewhere new place, much of the analysis, the content, the information that we digest will be created by well, machines. So we should and just get used step. to the, we should get used yeah, to this. Th- I mean, I think saying. what what you're saying then, Troy, is that this is Sports Illustrator showing us how useless it is in the long run and how it doesn't actually need to exist. Wait, would you do uh, stuff like this at Hearst if you had the tech? Would you be doing ginning up under those brands? I know. I think the measure of this brand, I don't think that's a fair question. I think the measure is, can you use technology to create something that serves your audience effectively? Okay, well, that's a little broad. We all know, you included, Brian, that we have to live within very difficult distribution parameters that force us to do crafty things. It's called search engine optimization. Right. So I have a lot of sympathy for don't hate the player, hate the game. And this is all a game that Google basically runs. It's their game. And I think what's clear is it's not like... The loyal readers of SI.com are typing in SI.com and going to this volleyball review (laughs) written by a robot. This was search chum that was being created. And this was never meant to be seen outside of a search context. And within a search context, page two, page three, results of volleyball reviews, hey, it's a victim, mostly victimless crime. I get it's that. such an insane business decision to say, you know, like we've learned a lot about how giving all our content to Google and devaluing our content killed our business. And here's what we're going to do next. Do that, but supercharge it. <laughs> it's, like saying, it's like saying, you know, like last time I touched the stove, I burned myself. Next thing I just put myself in the stove. Yeah. <laughs> just light yourself just on light fire. Yourself on just, fire. Just so congratulations, <laughs> you just made yourself. I want this to be a hopeful show. <laughs> okay, Alex. You know, in fairness, and just to challenge the idealists in the room, so you have a company that is 
actually built on the embers of Say Media, a company that you were employed by. Mm. And its premise is we're going to create a single platform, aggregate up a bunch of media properties in vertical categories, and we're going to get scale and sell advertising against it. And by the way, we're public and we're running out of money because the market sucks. And we're going to get the five-hour energy guy to give us some money so that we can maybe buy some of the distressed assets in this terrible market. And then we'll add some weird video stuff to it, some network television programming, all kinds of stuff. And we're going to try to sift through all this garbage, or not garbage, all of these properties. And again, not garbage. Distressed <laughs> assets. <laughs> Time to take out the distressed assets every Tuesday and this, Thursday. Uh, no, 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 but this don't, was, don't let, this don't let that. that yeah. uh, thank you very much listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> this is perfect. And Opposite side parking is suspended. We're gonna we're gonna evolve. To, we're gonna we're gonna evolve and, and and create a meaningful media business in the future, and we're gonna have to be incredibly enterprising. With that as a backdrop, oh my God, we need the money this quarter. Along comes basically an affiliate ad network, and this is a very important notion if you care about the details. A guy like yeah. Ben Fah, who's an expert in affiliate, founded the company Best Reviews, the original Arab affiliate property. He comes to you as a publisher and he says to you, I have a bunch of people that want to advertise on content, affiliate links, right? This is like the modern version of an ad network and we need to get it on content. And you're the guy on the other, on the content side, you say, well, we don't have the, all the reviews and all the content for you to put the slot in the affiliate links. And then he says, don't worry about it. We'll write the content. And you say to him, make sure it's good because this is Sports Illustrated or whatever. And he's like, no problem. I'm going to make sure it's good. And he's like, well, guys, we got to optimize this business a bit. We're going to get the robots to help us, blah, blah, blah. That's the story. Okay. Now, What's going on there, Alex? Just, I'm sorry I went on too long, but I'm only saying that idealists have a very important place in this world, but so does cash flow this quarter in a very difficult environment. I, I, I get it. I'm not being an idealist. At Arena, we're trying to yeah, do, yeah. all they were trying to do is say, could we partner with someone to help get some of this new type of revenue? It's called performance advertising and get it onto our pages so that we can actually try to find a future. For, for our media business and paying journalists and all of that. And to God bless them. That's what I'm saying. I, I think everybody everybody yeah. is trying to do their best. Okay. I think I'm not being an idealist. I don't think this is... If you're planning, to, like, we're just going to do this until we make enough money to build a, a real media business, good luck. Because what you're doing is, like, you're, like, fucking salting the ground of your media brands by doing this. Really? Is that, yes. is that true? Is that true? Yes. You, you inject a That's bunch my... of funky content into Google to sell a few volleyballs? Come on. <laughs> okay, so victimless crime is basically what you're saying. I mean, my guess is my guess is that it has no repercussions and everybody's okay with it, so we should be fine. But I, th I think to me what's, what's interesting is that what SI is doing is fairly common because you, in the information space, you're competing with anything and everyone, right? So like when you're in an, the SEO part of the information space. There's all kinds of scurrilous characters who have no qualms whatsoever about using technology, using whatever to get traffic. And you are competing with them in the SERPs, like you are. And like I, I put that against this one of these SEO, I love the SEO hustlers of Twitter. This guy, and he posted it, which was crazy because he ended up getting it shut down. This was his tweet. He said, we pulled off an SEO heist that stole 3.6 million total traffic from a competitor. We got 490,000 traffic in October alone. And he goes through how they did it by basically exporting a competitor's sitemap and then, of course, turning on the AI engine and creating 1,800 articles from the competitor's titles and taking their most valuable search traffic in the process. Basically, every publisher is now doing some version of this. It's, again, the game that has been set up and the incentives that have been set up by Google. And I'm not saying that Google doesn't have a ton of constituencies that it has to cater to or not cater to or try to keep somewhat miserable but not too miserable. It's set up these incentives that says if you're at the arena group, yes, let's do this. We, we, should be, we, we need to be able to do this in order to compete in the search results, right? You're right. I mean, however lean they run these things, the cost structures are going to be way higher than these like 
SEO farms that are set whichever place has the cheapest electricity and kind of run these things all day and all night. And they're trying to build this on top of the semblance of a real media publication. I think it, it, they're always going to lose this battle. I don't understand why people are jumping hey, into dude. this saying, well, we have to do it. It's it's short-term thinking. I mean, it's I just look at it as thinking. like, you can't have an upmarket brand. You can't have, you have to choose a lane yeah. at some point. And you can't have an upmarket brand. It's not short It's survivalist thinking. You cannot, okay, but, okay, there's survivalist thinking, but like you cannot have an upmarket uh, brand. Okay, exactly. I don't think you can do both. And if I'm going to the to the market and I'm saying, hey, here's our strategy for 2024 is gnawing at our arm, hoping that we survive. It's just, I don't think that <laughs> stock is worth anything. Look, I mean, it's all Google's fault, of course, right? I mean, have you seen like what the algorithm does to YouTube videos and websites? Everything's becoming shit. But if you have a thing that has a minute amount of value just in its brand itself, like going up into a knife fight with people who have a cost structure that is probably a tenth of yours that are going to be hacking the system constantly that don't have to look good that are not going to be have articles written about them if they do this crazy stuff is insanity but that's why as publishers outsource this to people like Advan or the others the, the anonymous names that mm -hmm. do it right? Troy you know this world I know it very well Yes. <laughs> you know it very well. Did I hear you just pop yeah, a Zen okay. just now? So, is that are you? Are you <laughs> no, I, I heard I, I some rattling while I was talking. I just think that we should maybe leave the naive portion of the show. I'm not naive. And, this is uh, cra crazy. Okay, Seth, pop a Zen, get real. <laughs> yeah. Go. So here's the thing, guys. One, what I think is is tremendous, slightly disconcerting. If you now want me to kind of look at this through another lens. And, and I want to talk about platforms for a minute, Brian. You brought it up in the email, yeah. and you talked about how how hard it is for Google to kind of be the gatekeeper of the open web and keep all the constituents happy. But really, this is a, about kind of one of the conundrums or challenges of our time, which is the massive leverage that is created by technology and how we deal with that in ways that, that are, are really different than the past. If you want to go back to an analogy, I mean, the, this is sort of feudal in a way, right? Like we are all just kind of like tending to our little squares of land that yeah. we do not own for the great landowner that are the tech platforms. And they don't, they don't own the stores, let's say, but they own the roads and they own the land and they own the buildings and they own everything that allows you to run, a, run your store. And we just kind of work a way to serve you. And the reason is, is it because society and commerce and content and communication all flow through our little boxes now, our laptops and our telephones and everything, that the platforms that are essentially the roads and tools of that system have an immense amount of leverage. And like so much so that they can do like, a little optimization and destroy a hundred businesses. And so it's so different than meat space, right? Like the leverage in the digital world is profound and unsettling, I think. And, yeah. and I think it's happening wherever an interface is the way that we access goods, services, products, friends, communication, etc. It's happening in cars. It's certainly happened in content. I mean, when you think about the power of Google, Apple, Facebook. I mean, yeah, they control the content flows. Yeah, they control the platforms on which humanity express themselves. Yes, increasingly, if I was to look at my credit card bill, so much of my commercial activity flows through technical, like the, the, the big tech companies' platforms. If it's Amazon or if it's credit card transactions through Apple, I mean, or if I'm booking something like a hotel through Google, like so much of commerce now flows through the pipes of the big tech platforms. It's not just content. Yeah. It's everything. And they manipulate the participants, the behavior of the participants by setting oh my the God. incentives as such to say, this is what you do. I mean, you look at the, and Amazon does this and it's really difficult in an antitrust environment to explain this. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not going to become one. I mean, look at what they're doing to advertising, Brian. Okay? Advertising's old news. Sponsored listings and distribution. Yeah, it's not advertising. Really adver it's payola. 
<laughs> that, that's okay. what I saw. It's a payroll. Right? That, I like well, that Well, I mean, someone made a post about this today on Twitter. Listen, the 31 yeah. bill that Amazon does in quote-unquote retail media, they have to get back from you, the consumer, right? So their business is so remarkable. First, they lock you in with prepaid shipping. That's called Amazon Prime, right? And then when you search for something, you have to be you have to pay them to get into the consideration set of what a consumer is going to buy or a competitor will buy my And they set your terms, prices. Right? Well, they make it so that your prices can't be lower anywhere else. Yeah, well, that's setting your prices. Right. And so you have to build in all the fees for advertising to Amazon in your, in your pricing. So basically, they're elevating pricing everywhere. And it's really, in the end, hard to navigate which products are best for you. Because it's all just a game of payola. Amazon's like fucking dystopian at this stage. It just they're, they're not even providing the best products anymore. And if there's no way for the government to step in here, we're all doomed. Mm. But but to get, bring back. But I take to, another to, shot at them. Their their interfaces are gross. Just quickly, Amazon Prime Video has a gross interface, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Why well, had the long Does conversations it? with people from Amazon about that? And there's always well-meaning folks who are trying to go into Amazon and fix their design. But it always ends up being like, it doesn't need to look good. Who gives a shit? They don't need to make the experience any better because people will jump through hoops to get the cheapest price. Also, Apple's starting to suck, but I'll just, we'll come to that on another episode. <laughs> okay. But just to bring it back to, to Google, because they have a real problem on their hands with this gunk in their search results. And it's going to get even worse. And yes, these tools are going to be used. We're all, we're an augmented people. We already are. We're going to become further augmented. And, you know, what the Arena Group and Advan got called out for is going to be done a million times over. And I don't know how Google can figure all of this out considering all of the pressures that it, the business is under from ChatGPT and stuff. Like Because it would be easy to say, well, just ban bot-created content. Well, it's going to be increasingly very difficult to discern what was created by a bot and what's created by a human. I think that was your point, right? Like it, This is just sort of an extreme example, and that's why I consider it like ham-handed, because there clearly wasn't enough human oversight, which at this point these tools need. Anyone who's read ChatGPT, I think, who knows how to write, would say that this is not ready yet, just to like let, let it go. But I think it's going to be a real problem. And what is the open web without a centralized search engine? Does it exist? Because if Google stops being useful to people, then what? We go back to home pages for a few publications and just stay in different apps? I don't I don't know what the, the answer is for the open web. Yeah, I mean I don't know. I think uh, I'm already the interesting tool that I've been using a lot lately, more than Chat GPT, is called Perplexity. I've talked about it before. And I do notice that my behavior is that I'll get answers, especially when it's around like hunting for a product, et cetera. And I will click through on the links that it gives me or the references that it gives me, either to get more information or just to look at a piece of media. But I think that type of interface is going to become more and more the daily use case for a lot of people. And so it doesn't completely dismiss the need for websites or a search engine. It still acts as a search engine. There's just a lot less time spent on the site and a lot more time spent on the you know on the, on the actual content and the destination. Right, right. It's just a, it really is a better search yeah. engine that disaggregates the inputs. Yeah. And you still need, you know, potentially a special way to look at media or a product shot grid or a way to buy something that that might not be completely integrated mm. into into the AI. So that's still going to happen. I can't see, though, so much usage is kind of that people clicking on links by error or just running through content that they don't actually want to get to the thing that they want. I think that's disappearing, you know, in that new world. And that's that's whole layer of like SEO hacking and, and you know, loading pages with ads, etc. It's fundamentally going to change the business and probably benefit, you know, we're talking about Amazon, benefit things like, you know, these in-feed ads that Amazon does, the payola, as Troy calls it. I, I wanted to, to try to add to this with a very unformed thought that can either be maybe extended upon by you or by an intrepid listener or something. Let's just go through the logic. We like web pages 
because some of us like words on paper. And we also like web pages because, God damn it, we can own them. They're ours. They're on our domain. Google can come along and sniff them, but they're ours. We can put whatever we want on them. We can add a commerce link. We can put an advertisement. We can harness their value in different ways. And I often think about this. What happens when that notion becomes quaint? When that notion of the web as stacks of, of paper starts to disappear and be replaced by the idea of flows of energy and by like real time and signals of authenticity and trust that are connected to humans and then slurping sort of machines that pull all that into something that's useful to you. And the only things that don't get chopped up in that process are SKUs. SKUs are just products that you buy or the trucks that deliver them to you. But like this idea that there's Google and there's a bunch of pages that we own seems to be evaporating. Yeah. And I'm trying to just think of like, but, but to me, like this podcast and us talking to each other and other people being able to listen to it, that's not going away, right? No is, nor is the reputa- your reputation, Brian, as an industry thought leader, nor is anything that is real time or indivisible. But like the idea that like an article is actually worth something and therefore the navigation to it is worth something to me is going to be a dated idea. And I just don't think it's clear what the next really looks like because our headspace is entirely rooted in the fact like of ownership and discrete shapes of things. And that's what the web offers us. It's a skeuomorphic, the web. I think it's probably, you know, it started with the creation of the app stores and you know, building more value in those apps that you controlled, and it, it's going to continue down that path. You know, there's no reason why if you're creating content, it couldn't exist on an app as well as you know, like on a PlayStation or or whatever new device comes out. I think the the pathway to content and to the experience is going to change, but it does remove a lot of influence from the web. And I think the few people that are going to really want to maintain content on the web are people maintaining these databases for the AI, which is essentially what they're doing today with Google, right? Like the web is kind of an open database to your stuff with the AI and you hope it sends you traffic and that that traffic converts in some sort of way. Well, that's a, that's a good way to build on the theory, Alex, which is it's really not about pages. It's about databases of knowledge and it's th- th- that value is maintained there. Explain right? that. What database of knowledge? What is that? Well, a database, whether it's numbers or something proprietary or knowledge or perspective, it, it feeds an AI processor that delivers it back to you in the form factor that okay. you want it in, right? And it's only defensible to the extent that you can defend your data position. And so the way that we looked at that historically was that was my page. And I'm just one, and I think what Alex said is that, you know, the page doesn't really matter. It's just a database. The, the, the thing that's worrying is that the access points to these databases become controlled by platforms, you know, whether it's the App Store or YouTube. Podcasting is one of the last free bastions where you can just push an RSS feed and really own your audience in a way that is a little bit more manageable. But like that's the worry, right? That's my biggest worry. Now there is a lot of stuff happening around things like Activity Pub, etc., where you could build more decentralized tools that allow you to access things in the same way you access podcasts. But I do think that over time that database, how you control it, where you decide to put it, is going to be really interesting to look at, right? Is there going to be more competition for having some sort of exclusivity deal on that database? Are you going to be able to monetize or leverage things like that? You know, the same way like, you know, Rogan decided to put his podcast on Spotify. Are you, are you going to have content that exists really only under certain tools mm-hmm. and, and that becomes more of a of a way to generate revenue for sites, you know, like Sports Illustrated, et cetera, right? Like just give give people access or give companies access. Right, but you know what? Some of this points back to the world is sort of opining on what the value of like text content that has no intent or no kind of protectable IP value. It's saying that it's worth very little. An example of that would be a page of content that carries no signal about what someone wants to buy or a next action that they want to take 
might be worth 15 bucks per thousand, right? So that's called the RPM. And the RPM on a piece of undifferentiated relative, like it's still got traffic against it or traffic potential, but that content is worth very, very little versus a page on the internet that is a place where there is purchase intent, where someone is on their way to buying insurance product, financial product, home services, any product that you could think of, a computer, whatever, mm. those could be worth $500 per thousand, $700 per thousand, $1,000. So imagine that, the difference between just content that has no sort of tangible commercial value, $15, and something yeah. that is connected to a purchase worth $1,000. Yeah, and not so, all attention is equal. Like that's why all the stuff with attention, a lot of media just gets attention. It doesn't have intent. And so it's pretty amazing that, that the world over the last 20 years has kind of ruled on the value of that stuff. So either it has subscription value, right? I.e. someone likes it so much that they want to pay for it, or it has commercial value, i.e. It's, it's, it's a stopping point on the way to purchasing something, or it's worth basically $15 a thousand, $10 a thousand, worth very little. Yeah, but it can also be worth... I didn't think that's why when you, when you see these 2024, what are people focusing on in 2024? You see like events, activations and stuff, because we've talked about this a lot. Media is a great, you know, big brands, small businesses, always been that way. It's going to be even more so that way in that you need to figure out ways to make money that are not putting ads on pages and monetizing attention versus unless it has intent. Like if it's if you're just saying we're going to monetize attention on web pages, like that's a tough one. Then yes, I would say pull out all the stops, whatever it takes. If that's if that's your strategy, absolutely. I would say bring on the bots. Cuz I just don't see how that but you can use text-based content that gets attention that doesn't have like commercial intent and build a different kind of business. It might be a smaller business. It might not have as much leverage in the, in the model. It might be services-based and, and the other things that we've talked about on here. But there's ways, there's ways to, to use text-based content to build businesses. They're sure. just different, I feel like. Yeah. I feel like this was like a really depressing podcast. I don't know why. I wanted it to be optimistic. I mean, I, my hope is that when a lot of the commercial activity gets removed from the web, it becomes the thing it used to be, which is this cool place where you can try shit out. Wait, walk us through the commercial activity being removed. Well, how from is that anything? happening? <laughs> are, 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 the next thing he's going to say is something about late stage capitalism. I don't know if you remember the internet, what the internet pre-commercialization, but it was great. It was a fun place to be. Like the chat rooms. Yeah, chat rooms, IRC. You had people IRC. doing all sorts of like fun websites, not trying to yeah. to reach like scale. The, the ham radio phase. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't know. I wasn't into it then. I like the commercial internet. Well, I mean, you were you were too busy going <laughs> to parties, but like, I do think there's there's a huge. There remains to be like a place for an open format to share and create and disseminate content, and let's not forget that the web is very capable at doing like pretty exciting interactive experiences, et cetera. So I still think that there are ways to build things that require people to get there. I think there are still ways to lock things down so that you, you know, you can't get all that content via AI regurgitating it. If you make something of value, it might take time, but if you make something of value, I think the distribution can be innovated on. Right. If you're going to go into the battle of like trying to beat the algorithm in Google or, or anywhere else, you know, it's it's a different fight. But I, I still think there's hope for the web, for the web itself. So there we go. All right. So the okay. open, the open web is not dead after all. I don't know. I was trying to end on Maybe an optimistic works. note. I mean, Google Google is like the oil company, and it's it's now in the fracking stage where it's sucking the last remaining value out of the sand, and when it's barren, it's going to move on to something else. Yeah, okay, so we'll each get a chance to wrap up the episode in, from our own points of view. Okay. Media exists as an interface between ideas and people. And it performed and does perform a very important role in society in helping people understand things, directing attention, and sort of coalescing points of view. And increasingly, that interface point is being... In a, in a kind of prism-like way, spread out across way, way more points of light, where people are connected to different people and we're all 
part we all participate in this content economy. Inside of there, there will still be important nodes that are media, but it's it's changing a lot, and you have to look for places where your node is either sort of commercial by nature or that it's indivisible, like a podcast or or a piece of IP or a video, or you have really unique data that someone needs or wants to pay for. And I just think that that all of that changes the sort of value chain of media in ways that we don't fully appreciate yet. And yeah, Google sits on top of that today. And tomorrow they're just going to play a much smaller role. But the web will hopefully uh, you know, be sustained in different ways through it. I love the web and I do understand what Alex said about in its earliest, most pure hammer idea-like manifestation. That's, that's all I have to say until we get to best product. <laughs> okay. The only thing I would add to that is I thought it was notable that they went through the trouble to add human-like faces and names to <laughs> this content. And I think a big question when all this augmentation truly takes off is whether there'll be a human premium that is placed on stuff that's created by hand, by humans. A hundred percent. I think there will be. I think it's going to be a smaller sort of, and I think that part, the artisanal part will be really interesting and stuff. I don't know if they ran like an A-B test about whether, you know, I don't know if this stuff in this context performs just as well as if a human created it. And honestly, a lot of the commerce content out there that you see is not exactly, look, I honor all labor, but it's whatever. I understand pointing the bots at a lot of that type of content. But ultimately, as it becomes, it proliferates, I do think that the value will go up on on some versions of human-created content. It'll just be the more artisanal, higher-end stuff. Which is not to beleaguer the point, which is why I think it's it's madness to place a bet on the other side of that, which is that accelerating that non-human content rather than trying to invest more in purely human content, even if you have to slow down for a second. One of our listeners actually sent me an AI tool that he's developed that's actually pretty cool. It basically gives you the, when you Is land on a website. No. Okay, good. No. You're like Captain Capitalism and you're like against monetization. No, I just want full disclosure on all your like branded content. We're, we're trying to run a oh, reputable media company here, Brian. Don't know about it. Okay, well, <laughs> okay, well, I didn't like have AI generate it. Anyway, he created this thing that it basically it's like an Ask AI button that will be on, on web articles. And you click it and it gives you the summary. I don't know if this is like the implementation, but it would be nice to see more examples of... Publishers using what's it called using for? AI in, in ways I'm I'm actually getting because those there's a bunch of those one of the ones I use is called Wise One same thing it's a browser plugin that'll summarize anything this is Tyler Senate Tyler Irvin from Get Archie Get Archie.ai. Tyler did not pay me for this I should say anyway it was pr- it was pretty interesting Let's check it out what's the good product. The first thing I would do is shout out Julia Alexander, who oh, yeah. is a researcher at Parrot and a writer for Puck, who gave us a nice shout out on Twitter today. And I think she's a cool cat and she likes us. She likes our podcast, which I appreciate. So thank you. And she always has, she has an we incredible, Julia, come on. We'd love to have Talk her streaming. incredible understanding of the streaming ecosystem. I think maybe yeah, one she knows, of the she best in the country. She really knows her stuff. And she's also an NFL fan, it seems, which I appreciate. I was yeah, so we, we, pissed, we'll do an NFL so episode. pissed that the Eagles and the f- terrible referees stole that victory from Buffalo. Oh my God. What? No. Come, come on, Brian. That was. I mean, no, there was a lot of calls that went to Eagles' favor. All right, I, I'm gonna leave now. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> that's okay. all you could do. I mean. Okay, sorry. All right, so that's not. So I want to just. The weather in Ireland isn't particularly good. It's often weather? gray. Is the and weather rainy. a product now? Oh, no, no, God. the weather's not a product. But I would say that the warmth of the Irish people makes it all worthwhile. The Irish people are literally the best. They're so That's they're all like they have Canadians going for them. They have no natural accent. resources. That's all no, they they're have. just great people. They're nicer than Canadians, even. So I like that. But one of the things that I I think that when p- the uninformed look at a glass of Guinness, they think it's gonna be heavy and like stouty and mashy and hard to drink. Yeah. Nothing could be further from the truth. 
nothing is as good as a well-poured Guinness. And I know that it's now owned by like Diageo, and but the, the folklore of the company is strong. And I think it's just like a good Guinness to me is the most quaffable of beers. I love it. That's my good product this week. Hmm. Well, there we have it. I mean, I can think of many things better than a Guinness. Uh, do you drink it cold? It's Yeah, it's usually chilled. It's served like oh. yeah, cold, okay. but kind of... Brian, do you like a Guinness? I I mean, I don't, I don't drink them regularly, but like, I, I would say, yeah, if I was like in in Ireland at Johnny Fox's or something, sure, I would, I would get. I a went Guinness. to Johnny Fox's this week. Pro tip: if you ever run out of Guinness, just take a flat can of Bud Light, pour an espresso in it, and stub out your cigarette in it, and you get about the same oh, experience. Really, <laughs> very anti-Guinness. I see. Wow. No, I do. I like Guinness. I like, I like it. It's an acquired taste, though. All right, let's leave it there. On the Guinness. Uh, just one line. You usually look over to me to come up with best product, and I and I have lots of points of view. On yeah, this good, was a good, good one. Products. I agree. It's a good, good, good one. We don't. But if you want to come to the show with something that you think is exceptional, I encourage it. Oh, wow, that was passive aggressive. And on that note, this was another great I don't have episode. I, I, I have jet lag. And everybody just found out that pretty much if you just send us an email about your new product, we're going to read it live on air and give you free advertising. But aside from that, please rate and review and uh, share the podcast with but your then, friends. But once we get enough volume, then we'll have sponsored listings. That's the way yeah. it works. Some of us put a lot of work into this. Others like pretty much just generate their faces and answers. Can we get, hey, does Bloomberg Scott listen to this podcast, Brian? Bloomberg Scott, ex-Bloomberg now. <laughs> I don't know. I had him Havens. On, uh, Havens. I said that because yes, I, I can remember. I love Scott Havens. Well, that's, we'll, we'll find out now. Scott. Yeah, Scott, if you're listening. Wait, he's he's out of the media industry. He doesn't have to like pretend he cares. <laughs> what a great, what a rock star move to go no, he's for a great the Mets. Guy. I, I was going to make a joke on his LinkedIn about how he's leaving like one of the roughest businesses to go into <laughs> the even worse business, which is the Mets. Mets are a good business, just a bad baseball team. Yeah, but to have him honestly reflect on on a life in media at this point. As yeah. he leaves to go work in for the Mets, would be cool. And we sh- we should also handicap who. That's one of the last good jobs in publishing, and of now it's media. But like that's one of the last good jobs. What Bloomberg? Don't you think? Yeah, oh, running yeah, Bloomberg. That's, that's a good. It's one, great. Yeah. I running Condé Nast. I don't, Except I there don't always Bloomberg. there always seems to be a little bit of confusion about what you're optimizing for because the media side is a kind of ingredient to the bigger business and it doesn't have to run at a profit. So there's a luxury in it, but also a, a kind of lack of real urgency. Sounds like a dream, to be honest. <laughs> All right, episode 62 in the can. If you have any meddling uh, sports teams that you need people to work for, Brian and Troy are looking for jobs. Yeah. Just write and review some comments. <laughs> See you next week. I would run the Eagles. I don't think I'd move back to Philadelphia, but I'll run them. (laughs) All right. Let's leave it there. I got to go to dinner. All right. Thanks.